and Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering the house, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. This is the word of God. And all God's people said... All right, you may be seated. Is this the correct uh, place I'm supposed to be? Let Eric go. Oh, okay. Well, I like this anyway. So, since I'm in charge of the teaching time, I'll do it right here. Okay. All right. Well, hey, what's up, Macav? It is uh, good to be back in this portion of the hood. This is uh, my wife and I uh, live on the west side, but uh, this is east side. And um, it's, I'm going to get a chance to always come on the east side a lot. But uh, it's good to be here with you uh, this morning. And speaking of my wife, uh, Janice, I refer to her affectionately in, in our home church as my African queen. So if you get a chance... Really, to see her, to meet her, I want her to stand just for a moment here. Amen. Uh, She is indeed next to the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, She's definitely the wind beneath my wings. And I appreciate her indeed so much. And and also, as Eric shared, this has been um, just a great, I mean, Mac... Uh, Avenue or Mac Ave Community Church is one of about 70 uh, church uh, partnerships or collaborations that we have across the city of Detroit. But, you know, there, you know, you have partners and then you have authentic, real good partners. And Mac Ave is in our probably top five, I would say, when I think of church partnerships that we really, uh, uh, we really enjoy. And so it's just a pleasure you need to, to be here. And so I'm going to try as much as I can practice uh, the five B's of speaking, which simply says, be brief, baby, be brief. Okay. <laughs> so I, so I, I heard that. I get I heard that amen there. I like that someone said, okay. Uh, and so just give a minute, you know, I've, um, I've switched from doing just no paper to trying to do digital, uh, electronic and, uh, I was sitting there. Okay. Here it's back up now. Okay. All right. Good. We're ready to go. So, um, I know, um, I know you prayed, but I take this very serious. So let me pray one more time. Okay. And we'll get into the word father. Thank you for again, uh, for this great opportunity to stand, to represent you among uh, this community. Thank you indeed for the elders here. Thank you for uh, every member, those who attend. Thank you for what they've been doing. As they say, neighboring uh, in this community for a number of years. 
and the strong witness indeed that you're producing. So now would you give us a good time in your word? You know what we need. So give us to us, Lord, in a way indeed that we might be able to receive it and then apply it to our lives. For we ask it in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so you see that uh, I understand you in the, a series here in the book of Acts, and this was the passage that was assigned to me out of uh, Acts 8, 1 through 8, and I titled it, Moving Out, Revolution of Another Kind. I don't know, uh, you know, along with my wife, uh, we have three children, and both of the two of them, <coughs> my boys are all married. And Jason, some of you may remember four years ago, who was here. And then also Jessica was just here about a week ago, two weeks ago, with the Spring Hill Camp. She was one of the leaders there helping to put that on. But, you know, one of the neat things about having kids uh, as we we were uh, raising them is that we grew up in the, quote, hip-hop culture with contemporary hip-hop music. And I don't know if you, I mean, if you ever heard of a guy named Kurt Franklin. Have you ever heard of a guy named Kurt Franklin? Many of you familiar with him? Okay. Well, about oh, over 10 years ago, I think, he came out with a song that I wanted you to look at the lyrics here. And now, I'm not a rapper. And you, obviously, that's pretty obvious though, isn't it? Okay, you know, but I want you to check out these, uh, uh, these rhymes here. It says this, sick and tired of my brothers killing each other, sick and tired of daddies leaving babies with their mothers, to every man who wants to lay around and play around, listen, partner, you be man enough to stay around. Sick and tired of the church talking religion, and yet they talk about each other making decisions. No more racism, too fascism, no pollution. The solution is a revolution. No crime, no dime, politicians lying, everybody trying to make a dollar. It makes me want to holler. The way they do my life, the way they do my life, there's going to be a brighter day. All your troubles will pass away. A revolution's coming. Yes, it's coming, coming. Revolution coming. Yes, it's coming. A revolution is coming, coming. Now, that was a very popular song in contemporary Christian music. But you know, here's the thing, though. Um, when you're talking about a revolution coming, if you look, when you read the lyrics and look at all of it, he never says when it's coming or how it's coming or what's coming, what type of revolution. And so people were just kind of, you know, dancing and moving to, to the music and the groove. But here's the thing. It's really not about starting a new thing. It's about joining a revolution that started 2,000 years ago. And that's what indeed this text is about this morning. It's really it's about you, MacAv. You and I are the result of this revolution that began 2,000 years ago that has continued up until today as well. And so we're going to look at the idea of moving out, how it all got started from being just this little Jewish sect, well, not really little, but but, uh, a sect in Jerusalem to where it turned the world upside down in that century, but also has continued on throughout uh, today. But also, secondly, I think uh, this passage is also going to tell us something about what it means to be on mission, about being missional, about the idea of reaching out and why that is so important, especially if you name the name of Jesus Christ 
if you are a Christ follower. It's an expectation, not an expectation. It's not, uh, it's not about just simply this is what Christians do. It's, what, it's who we are. It's why God has left you and you and you and you here. It's not just simply indeed to, yes, uh, get a nice house and raise a nice family and get a big job and have big kids. That was a joke, y'all. Okay, no. But we are here on mission to represent, to reach out, and to lead others indeed to Christ. You know, I remember when um, Janice and I got engaged, we just celebrated 34 years of marriage back here in May. And you know what? When we got engaged, I became very missional. I mean, I was sharing the word with everybody about this most beautiful black woman that we were about to get married. I was excited indeed about this message. And likewise, the Bible says that we have come into this eternal relationship now with the living God through his son, Jesus Christ. And so we should be more excited about telling people indeed about our friend, about our Lord, about our Savior. And so, two things. It's how this thing, even why are we here today, the big macro pitch, but also the micro, how God expects each of us to be on mission as well. You know, I love the way, indeed, one other thought, and then we'll get right into the text. Uh, years ago, there was a guy who was really kind of a far off, a mentor of mine. His name was Tom Skinner. He was a social evangelical activist for Christ. He grew up in Harlem, New York. He came to Christ as was a gang leader for the Harlem Lords when he was about 14 or 15 years of age. And he used to use, uh, he talks about when he was the leader of the Harlem Lords, he had no problem indeed taking, breaking a bottle and then taking it and gouging guys' eyes out. He used to have notches on his belt of how many people that he had uh, he, had, he, had, he had put a blade in. I mean, he was a really tough guy. And here's a funny thing. He was a PK, a preacher's kid. But he came to know the Lord, and God just changed his life. And he says this in one of his books that uh, he writes about in terms of the definition of a revolution. He says this, The definition is to take an existing situation which has proved to be unworkable, archaic, impractical and out of date you seek to destroy it and overthrow it and to replace it with a system that works now that may sound a little radical okay i'm not talking about you know he's talking about bombs or throwing uh molding cocktails or those kind of things but he says the whole premise is this is that the scripture says that the human order is archaic impractical there's no good It is infested with demonic power, with sin, racism, hate, envy, jealousy, pride, war. The whole existing human order is infested with ungodliness. And the whole purpose of Christ coming into the world was to overthrow the demonic human system and to establish his own kingdom in the hearts of men. And so, yes, this is a revolution, But it's not like the revolution is going over in the Middle East or in Central America or in Eastern Europe. 
this revolution is of another kind because it begins on the inside and works its way on the outside. It's the kingdom of God been established in the hearts of men. And God has a place, a purpose for all of us to be involved in this revolution. And so the question is, what does it take not only to join this revolution, but to maintain, to be a part of it, to finish well? Not only to join it, but to maintain, to stay in it all the way to the end until God calls us home. Well, you know, I love the way you ask questions at MacAd. Let's take a look now. First, uh, <coughs> first point. I say, call it, consider the circumstance. Acts 8, the first part of that sentence says this, and Saul approved of his execution. It says, and Saul approved of his execution. Now, last week, you know, you looked at indeed the stoning of Stephen. And that was indeed that basically situation, that experience really broke open the church out of, the, out of its, quote, temple husk. And they began indeed to move out. But here's the thing. When you look at that, it says, it says Saul was approving. That word um, there in the original language is the idea of not just simply consenting, but to give hearty approval. It's the idea of becoming geeked. It's the idea of, man, I love it. I derive pleasure from the execution, the murder of a man. Now, probably most of you, I've never seen a stoning. I'm sure I don't want to see a stoning. But I guarantee, I bet it's not a pretty picture. And it says that Saul was standing there. Yes. Yes. Giving hard approval. Violence. If you're going to join the revolution, stay in it. You have to learn how to consider the circumstances around us. This city that we live in is notorious over the years for being a violent city. Matter of fact, how many of you just on Friday, I was reading where the chief of police of the city of Inkster resigned. He says, I've had enough. I've had it. I cannot take it any longer. When that young man went up to that two-year-old girl and point black range executed her, he said, that's it. I've had enough. People feel that way when they look at the violence in our cities. But yet, the revolution that we're part of, I ask yourself, what do you see? When you hear about the crime, when you hear about injustice, is a sense where, you know, gosh, are you ready to give up? It all depends on what lens you're looking through. If you're looking through the lens of man, you will become discouraged, even afraid, ready to give up. But you and I know now that all of this was part of God's plan. God, yes, allowed the first martyrdom of his Saint Stephen in order indeed to 
push the church out, to get them out, to move them out, to begin to carry out what Jesus says, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and even to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so it's real important that you get this. It's learning how to look at life from God's point of view. Your circumstances. And there are three kinds of people I know in this room right now. There are those of you who are about to get into some trouble or go into some trouble. There are those of you who are already right now in trouble. Right now, maybe financially, maybe family, maybe dealing with something on your job. Now, there are those of you who have just come out of trouble. You have to learn how to look at it, though, from God's viewpoint. That when we become Christ followers, God says, yes, he often necessarily will not always deliver us or change the circumstance, but he will change us in the midst of the circumstances. And so even though you look at indeed what was a horrendous, horrific, horrible execution, but yet in the economy and the plan of God, it was actually really a positive for the gospel of Jesus Christ as we will see, as we will find out. And so, again, I ask you a question. What do you see right here in Back Avenue, in this neighborhood, in this community, where you're seeking to live it out missionally, to exalt Christ, to be a neighbor? Don't look at it just simply from the eyes of the Detroit Free Press, a WDIV. Look at it through the Word of God. God is sovereignly in control, and if He's called you here, He's going to use even those bad, no matter how bad or worse the circumstances can be, he can use it only for his glory, for the expansion of your kingdom, and even for our own growth and development. Think about it. Who would have thought this guy, if you took a poll on that first, if USA Today would have been there, and if you would have said, you know, the apostle, uh, this guy's name was Saul, who later becomes the apostle Paul, no one would have thought in their right mind this guy would have become a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. And so that's why we cannot, no matter, even that guy who shot, who murdered that two-year-old baby, there is hope even for him. Now know what God would do in a person's life. And so we cannot focus on the external but the internal. Okay, so. Second thing, as we consider circumstances, count the cost. It automatically means that we kind of move into, we have to, as you consider, begin to look at what's going around you in your situation, particularly if it's turbulent, particularly if things are turning upside down. You have to always see it from, from, from the viewpoint of God of what he's doing, praying and asking him, Lord, how do you want me to represent you? We naturally have to count the cost. That word for persecution there, uh, excuse me. So now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And Philip went down to the... Okay. That's a problem. I'm sorry. And, you know, 
I'm the one, I'm, I'm going to take personal responsibility in that uh, the slide, even though, yes, the, the reference is right, but that's, that's not Acts 1B to 3. That's, okay, there we go. Thank you. All right. All right, okay. <laughs> it says, and there arose that day of great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. That word persecution means a very organized attack against, indeed, someone. It's, it's to organize a program to oppress and to harass people. And so we got to realize that now part of this revolution, you got to count the cost. There's a commitment involved, yes. Jesus, when he called men and women, he called them to a sense of commitment. Christianity is not just some whimsical, effeminate kind of, of operation here. Jesus himself, I like the way Tom Skinner said, he was a gutsy, contemporary, radical, revolutionary. Somebody who didn't mind getting dirt on his fingers. Somebody who he could follow. I hate sometimes to say that some of the pictures that you see of Jesus, and no offense here, but he couldn't survive in this neighborhood. <laughs> not that picture. That's not the picture of our Lord who calls us indeed. Who's a contemporary. He was a radical, a revolutionary for the kingdom of God. And so he tells us to count the cost. And so here, can you imagine, first of all, I think about there's a sense of there's a social pressure when you're going to follow Christ and be a part of this revolution. One of the prayer requests I remember was a young lady, or it could have been a young man who was talking about her uh, uh, witnessing or sharing Christ and going back and forth, not wanting to be, you know, seen as a, quote, Jesus freak. It's not the word, but I know the feeling there is that when you align yourself with Christ and you get serious about it, not only when you're living for him, but to be missional, you're going to upset some folk. They're not going to like you. It's okay. You can mow my yard. We can work together in an urban garden. We can do big brother, big sister, but don't talk to me about this Jesus stuff. Leave it alone. Social pressure. It's there. Got to count the cost. Is it more important you be in harmony? Do everybody like you? Or is it more important that there's only one person I have to please? Ultimately, that's him. So that was social pressure. They also, it says that they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, the diaspora, a dispersion there. They were scattered socially. So even some that was some economic pressure there. Can you imagine? You have to get up and get out of here. And I'm sure they didn't get a chance to uh, empty their 401 accounts and you know, to make sure they got a U-Haul, they left. And so economically, there was some cost there. Now, thank God, God doesn't require that all of us have to give up everything, even though he says we need to be willing to do that. But sometimes it does cost, even economically. Particularly those of you who are college graduates, and where maybe you could be in a lot of other places making a lot more money. But you choose because you feel like God has called you here. To be in this community. To make a difference. Huh? 
It may mean making choices here. I, I know I deal it all the time, even in I'm from a traditional Baptist mainline denomination. And sometimes, you know, I'm almost ready to throw up when I look at all the money that we spend on buildings and programs with our tithes and offerings. When biblically, you look at tithes and offerings that were usually given to the poor, to the needy. There's a little there for the priest, but the majority went there. We got it reversed. 80% is spent on salaries and buildings and programs. And then there's just a little we have we call a benevolent offering. We got it twisted. And so that's social pressure, that's economic pressure. And then it says, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him emotionally. There are casualties. There are losses. Stephen was a tremendous individual coming on strong. Remember, he started out as a deacon. And then he began to witness indeed to other Hellenistic Jews, who, which was his background. And it ultimately cost him his life. When Janice and I was at Wayne State University with Campus Crusade for Christ, working with college students, there was a young man by the name of Mike Darson who came to Christ. He uh, was from one of the uh, uh, one of the suburbs above Troy there. Uh, I find this kind of really outstanding guy was never really a bad guy. I mean, even growing up, but when he came to Christ, he's kind of like Paul. He came in full full steam. He led a lot of his fraternity brothers to Christ. This is what he would do when the fraternity brothers would have these big parties and liquor and all this. Mike wouldn't participate in the drinking, but afterwards, they come around in the morning, they would see him clean up all the liquor bottles, sweeping and cleaning up, and they just like, man, what's wrong with you? It's Christ in him. Mike would reach out to anybody who would listen. He had befriended a young man who was a squatter in a house on the west side of Detroit, near west side, central Detroit, Christian community. The young man called him over one night and just wanted to talk more about the Bible. Mike went over uh, to see him, but he didn't know that this squatter had been threatened by one of the homeowners or the landlord to get out of the house. Mike comes in there. The landlord comes up with a shotgun, and he blasts. He didn't do any talking. He said, I've had enough of this. Mike's friend gets away. Mike is killed. How do you explain to a mother when she says, Terry, what happened? Why was he over in that neighborhood? I thought you guys just did college students. Please explain to me, that's my, our son. The emotional upheaval that caused him. And yes, that is that when you choose to be a part of the revolution, yes, that sometimes it may be social pressure, sometimes it may be economic, sometimes it just would be emotional. When you experience the losses of people who you loved, but that's part of the revolution. And then finally, there is even sometimes just physical. It says Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. That word ravaging, there's idea of a wild boar, a wild pig 
that's going through the garden vineyard, just eating and tearing up everything. That's what Paul was. This guy, I mean, Saul at that time, he was so zealous. He was also on fire. What he thought was right, he would go in and literally pull people out of the houses, dragging them by their feet, throwing them into prison. You know, most of us probably would never know what it's like to experience physical persecution from the gospel like our brothers and sisters who do in the third world countries. And I hate to use the word, I hate to use that word third world. Uh, but you know what I'm talking about. Hmm? Who are physically persecuted for their faith. And so, yes, you got to count the cost. But I'm here to tell you, no matter what it is, and God has his own training program for each one of us, nothing is compared indeed to the glory that will be revealed and the sense of purpose and peace that you have when you do submit, when you do choose to follow him. Nothing can compare with it. Nothing can compare with it. And so, yes, I tell people, God is looking for a few good men and women to come with him. To make this difference. And so, I, you know, I'm sorry. You know, I got to run. It's, I'll, I'm seeing what time it is right now. I apologize. So what I said, consider what the circumstances, count the cost. Let me, uh, number three, real quickly, continue the course. It says in that, yeah, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. It's interesting that when they left their houses and their, uh, and, and their homes and, and their place, the native basically city and town, that they continued, I believe, to do what they were already doing. So it wasn't like they started this. They had been preaching and proclaiming the gospel in Jerusalem. And so it was just naturally because that's not what they do. That's who they are. That's how they roll. And it's interesting, there are two different Greek words here for preaching. Uangalizo, uh, to announce the good news, to share the good news, which is very common, very natural. And then the word for proclaim is the word, Greek word, keruso. It's like the idea to herald publicly, like in an event. And so God expects us, I believe, as a way of life, as we are going whether we are in the grocery store, whether we are with our neighbor, whether we are in a family reunion, whether we're on our job, that yes, we naturally share about the greatest person who has ever lived, our Lord and our Savior. But also there are times when we have special events where we announce, where we herald the gospel in our communities. And you see that. They continued the course of both sharing and proclaiming. And then I'll just say, briefly say, they said that there were some signs. When the crowds of one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip, when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. Many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Somebody said, well, wouldn't it be great if Jesus would do those, we could see those same kind of miracles, folks raise the dead, you know, the lame, the, the, the blind, sin, you know, but that would be great. And 
next week, you're going to see what happens when there's an overemphasis on miracles and signs and wonders from a man named Simon. Yes, God in this transitional period used miracles to get people's attention. And yes, he did it to authenticate the gospel. But here's, here's just me. I believe that one of the greatest signs that we have as a gospel community today is a transformed life among transformed people living out in a transformed community. That's what I like about here at MacAv. When I see folk who shouldn't be together, unless, because this is not a sporting event, this is not a concert, and we got folk from different races, different social economic background, what is, what's bringing it together? It's about Christ and his transformation. That's the greatest sign. So the last thing is this. Number four, it says, so there was much joy in that city. <laughs> Celebrate the Christ. There was much joy in that city. Now, when we meet the felt needs of people, which is what Philip did, the felt need there obviously was there was a lot of people who was paralyzed, lame, and folk who was crazy because of these demons in them. And when that was dealt with, and the real need, the important need that they had was the gospel. You always get folk excited and there's joy. The felt need and the real need. I love the way you have Mac Avenue what Community Corporation. You're committed to being a good neighbor, to recognizing there are felt needs, yes, that we want to meet and deal with, but also we want to meet the real need. And when that happens, that's going to be much joy here in Indian Village off of Mac Avenue. So continue to do what you're doing. Let's celebrate. Yes, to celebrate. People need to hear what, you know, what's going on over there on the east side. I want WDIV, Channel 7, Channel 2 to come over and find out what's going on over here. The people's needs are being met. And so they celebrated. And so that's the revolution. Do you have what it takes to be a part of it? Stay to maintain. You have to consider your circumstances continuously. When things come up, count the cost. It may be physical. It may be emotional. It may be social. Continue in the course of what you know. The word of God. Preaching it, proclaiming it, meeting felt needs. And then celebrate. And then so uh, application. Number one, there's a blessing and a struggle. <laughs> there's a blessing and a struggle. Say that with me. There is a blessing and a struggle. God can take our hard times and turn them into good times for others. I love that. The verb in 8.1 and 8.8 is the same, but the subjects are different. That meaning uh, the verb eganeto is, uh, is that in the Greek. But it's the idea that it says that then on that day... Uh, that persecution, persecution began to happen. But then uh, in 8.8, 8, it says that, uh, and the whole city was, that word was there, was rejoiced, was in great joy. And so what God took a hard time, persecution, but then he turned into some good times for others. 
Secondly, do you want to be where the action is? Get involved in the kingdom of God enterprises, being on gospel mission. There's nothing like it. It supersedes. I mean, you're talking about getting involved in adventure. You're talking about you want your life to be meaningful, to make a difference. Get involved in being missional and learning what that means. Get into discipleship here and get involved. Thirdly, God uses ordinary men and women to accomplish extraordinary results. They were just, just men just like you and I. But God wants to use them. I close with this. You know, I'm, I'm a child that grew up in the 60s and 70s in my teen years. I love Westerns. Some of the great classics. Gunsmoke, Wagon Train, The Virginian, The High Chaparral. But there was one Western called Rawhide. It's where Clint Eastwood really kind of made his, got his start in, in television as Rowdy Yates. But there was one phrase that they would use over and over again when the trail boss would get on his horse. He had all of the other cowboys and all of the cattle. He would say, head him up, move him out. I say to you, Macav, it's time that let's head him up and move them out. Let's get on mission. Let's get on point here. Because there's a world that is desperate, this neighborhood, desperately need to see and to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. God bless you. Thank you.